Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. For this inaugural show, I'm going to talk a bit about my history with the genre and how reading at the edges of fantasy showed me what I love about world building. First, though, I want to share my vision for Cabbages and Kings as it stands now. Cabbages and Kings is an attempt to create exactly the podcast that I want to listen to. I want a podcast that makes readers smile, pump their fists in recognition, and pause to consider a new idea. I want an excuse to work out ideas that are in my head and to interview a diverse group of other thoughtful readers. Cabbages and Kings is my attempt to contribute to the speculative fiction conversation in the format that I love the most. With Cabbages and Kings, I hope to focus on books and stories that I love to read and the experiences and reactions of other readers. All of this in under 30 minutes per episode, ending with a nostalgic look back at a favorite book. Something I'm going to be doing a fair amount of when I have guests on is asking them about their experience with sci-fi fantasy, the books they read, the books that define the genre for them. I thought before I go too far into that, I would do that exercise for myself. What are some of the books that I've read, and when I think of sci-fi fantasy, what do I think of? It's probably a little cliché to say things like, I discovered sci-fi through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but I did discover sci-fi through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I also remember The Chronicles of Narnia being an early read, and not realizing until the last battle that they were a Christian allegory, and feeling somewhat betrayed and outraged at C.S. Lewis for doing that. But I spent years and years in grade school, middle school, and on, reading The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings pretty much every year. I haven't much since the movies, and I'm sort of curious how that reread is going to go. I've, I've thought about rereading and always found an excuse to read something else, but that will be happening. Some other books that have made the trek with me across multiple apartments and into our house, which is a bit of a a bit of a statement about my affection for the book, if not necessarily its quality, because we've we've definitely purged quite a few. I have Robert Jordan's Eye of the World sitting here. I think that when I started the series, there were three or four books out. I faithfully read every one as it came out, including 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I finished a reread last year of the entire series, and I have to say I thought Sanderson did a pretty good job finishing the series. I don't know how likely it is that I will ever reread it again, but it was definitely formative for many, many years. Anne McCaffrey's Dragonflight is here, and I remember the Dragon Riders of Pern were originally a gift from one of my mom's co-workers. Well, a gift. He loaned the book, and I read it so much I kind of destroyed it. Ursula Le Guin's Wizard of Earthsea, which I don't even remember when I first read that, but I have come back to the tale of Ged many, many times and kept the Earthsea books with me and look forward to showing those to my daughter at some point. All of these will probably tell you that I read secondary world fantasy. I read a lot of secondary world fantasy. Others that are no longer on the shelves, but that I would still say are defining, or at least that I say, ooh, yeah, that. There's uh, the Redwall series by Brian Jacks. I read many of the Shannara books, although, I don't know, I probably stopped after 8 to 10. I don't think that I read Last Druid of Shannara, although I don't know if that was my cutoff. I've still got Donaldson's Covenant books, C.S. Friedman's Coldfire trilogy is sitting on the shelves still. Julian May's uh, The Many Colored Land, The Saga of the Pleiocene Exile, I think I discovered in junior high, and what sticks out to me about it is that I 
much more than with most other books, wanted to put myself into that world. I was not writing down fanfic, but I was definitely thinking fanfic in my head on long bus rides to and from from school, and that was probably my introduction to that. I, I have to say this makes me wonder how much I just kind of missed out on space opera and should maybe go back and read some more of it. I've read a couple of the Miles Vorkosigan books, but as far as defining things, I was much more fantasy than science fiction. Dune, on the shelf, a second or third version of the book, and in fact most of the rest of the series, so that will probably tell you something about my tolerance for books with low action and high levels of philosophy. Authors who I haven't read that you might expect, I think the two the two that jump out at me, I, I pretty much miss the Harry Potter bandwagon. I think at times I was sort of obstinate about missing the Harry Potter bandwagon. And Terry Pratchett. I've read We Free Men because I picked it up from Audible, but other than that, no other Terry Pratchett. I did really enjoy it. So I read a bunch of fantasy and science fiction, a lot of it secondary world fantasy. I went off to college. I studied medieval and renaissance literature, and that was mostly saints' lives and epic poetry was in large part the fault of a couple of charismatic professors and the fact that Tolkien had been an Anglo-Saxonist who read Beowulf and got me reading Beowulf and then Jerusalem Delivered and the Song of Roland and other medieval and Renaissance epic poems. I still default when thinking about criticism or at least about plot criticism to thinking about episodic romances versus more classical epic storylines. I would still like a book that both takes religion seriously and has miracles as ridiculous and clearly kind of socially charged as many of the miracles in many of the medieval saints' lives that I've read. Sometime after college, I found myself drifting away from the genre. I think it is possible to read too much secondary world epic fantasy, especially too much secondary world epic fantasy written by white guys, which was definitely what I was reading when I was picking books up off the shelf. So I'd been thinking to myself, well, I'll reread what I've got, maybe I'll try out some new genres, things like that. I read a couple mysteries and never really got into them, and then in fairly close succession, read N.K. Jemisin's Inheritance Trilogy, Saladin Ahmed's Throne of the Crescent Moon, and got on Twitter and found that there was an entire community of wonderful, wonderful authors and readers and a lot of books that I had never seen on the shelves or barely seen on the shelves of bookshelves, but that were really good and that I really enjoyed. And I rediscovered my love for Kate Elliott, whose Jaren I had discovered from a friend in high school, and whose King's Dragon or Crown of Stars series I had chased through used bookstores during all of college. I found Ahmed and Jemison. I found Anne Leckie. I found the short stories of Long Hidden. Dove back into the genre and said, what can I find? What can I find out of the history of the genre? What can I find that's being written now? And that's part of what inspired this podcast, because I also realized that there were lots of other readers who hadn't come to the genre exactly the same way that I had. I have read relatively little of the older science fiction that was primarily short stories that then later got serialized. Um, The Foundation trilogy I've read, but not many others. I only went back and read things like 
Crawford and the Grey Mouser and some of the Elric of Melniborn series recently, after I heard people talking about them and referring to them, there's a lot of history of the genre that I don't know all that well, and there are a lot of current names that I don't know all that well. The other thing I've realized is I like rereading books. Probably if it's on my shelf, I've read it more than once and I plan to read it again. And that leaves not a whole lot of time to discover new authors. I have slated in for this year Ken Liu's Grace of Kings, which is incredible, the Kate Elliott's YA debut, and Black Wolves, and that's probably going to be most of the new books that I read, the new novels this year, just because I'm rereading the Malazan series, and I'm trying to get back into or get more into short stories and short fiction. Again, coming out of mostly big doorstops, secondary world fantasy, I think I would love to read some space opera that makes me want to be in that world and going on those adventures. I would love to figure out short fiction, figure out what I like about short stories, how they work, why I particularly enjoy certain authors. I have never really connected very much with characters and characterization. So I am hoping I will have the opportunity in these conversations when I have guests on to learn how other people connect to characters, what's important about characters. I've always really liked the background, the settings, so I've got a lot to learn. I've got a few things that I'm somewhat opinionated about, and I'm looking forward to reading more and to learning how other people read this genre that I love, because it's not nearly as monolithic as I thought before I discovered the entire community around me. Now it's time for an occasional segment inspired by what I've been reading recently. In this case, Kazuo Ishiguro's The Buried Giant. In general, I kind of think about three ways to review or respond to something. The reader reaction, that is just, what did I think of this? A response that looks at the sort of project of the book and how well it accomplishes that goal or that project. So if this book is signaling to me I am a big, sprawling, epic fantasy doorstop, what do I expect out of that? I will say Ishiguro's book definitely did not signal to me that it was a big, sprawling epic fantasy, or indeed that it was all that concerned with being part of the fantasy genre. There was some discussion of that, which was actually why I went and picked it up. I thought it was interesting, but as someone who's read a lot of fantasy, I found I found the book unfamiliar. So getting back to my original point, I don't feel as though I could in any way critique or talk about what I think Ishiguro is trying to accomplish, or how well he does that. But I think there's also a sense of looking at more established conventions. I I hesitate to say something like doing objective analysis of a book. I think that there are ways to do objective analysis of writing. I think that I don't know enough about them. It is easier to look at conventions and practices within certain genres, talk about how well a book follows those. And it was interesting to me that one of the things that stuck out and one of the reasons I didn't feel that Ishiguro was in dialogue with the fantasy tradition was that I wasn't very impressed with some of the ways that Ishiguro built the world and populated the beliefs and feelings of the people in the world of the buried giant, which is sort of nominally a vaguely historical, shortly post-Arthurian England. I don't intend that necessarily as a criticism of the buried giant, and that's one of the reasons that I have a hard time reacting to what Ishiguro's project was. I found it a little bit baffling, but I definitely find it a striking element of 
secondary world fantasy. And I do think it crystallized for me why that's such an important part of secondary world fantasy. So when I read a fantasy novel that's just out in another world, off being magical, probably with dragons or the ogres and pixies that Ishiguro says he's on the side of, I expect that that world is going to have internal consistency. I expect that where there are parallels with our world, it will either be pretty clear that those parallels are intentional or that they are deliberately skewed away from understandings of our world. That is, that the book is going to give me clues towards the larger context and clues to say, in these areas you can assume that the world that this book exists in are very much like our own. And in these areas you can assume that the world that the book exists in are very much different from our own, and I will give you enough clues to figure out the ways that they are different because I'm doing something clever or interesting with that. There are a couple of cases in The Buried Giant which features pagans and Christians where the characters interact fairly directly with Christians. There are monks with some very interesting and non-traditional religious practices, and there are also some kids late in the story who talk about praying to Jesus. And both the monks and the kids are doing bad and ahistorical theology. The kids maybe not ahistorical. There probably were lots of people who had recently converted to Christianity did not have a very strong understanding of the theology and saw Jesus as a god to whom one prays. But in general, the monks and the kids are not doing good medieval theology, but they are the only examples of Christianity within the buried giant that we have any interaction with. What that meant for me was that it was very hard to tell what was going on with Christianity and with what it meant to be Christian in the story. And that read to me as someone who's read a lot of secondary world fantasy as a weakness of the story. That is, I would expect to either be able to say, there are, in general, fairly traditional Christian practices that have just kind of been lifted from our historical understanding of this time period, and there's this monastery doing something weird. Or I would expect to be able to say, this monastery is exemplary of the Christianity of the buried giant, and it is clear to me that there's something very different going on here, and the theology is very different, and that is significant for a reason, and be able to kind of articulate how that fits within the project of the book. Again, I don't necessarily mean this as a criticism of The Very Giant. It seems pretty clear to me that The Very Giant is not primarily in dialogue with or interested in the fantasy genre as a whole, although there are lots of fantasy elements on the surface. I'm still sort of unpacking my own thoughts about the book as a whole. But I do think it was really interesting to me how easily this crystallized why I like good world building. I would like when I read something in the story that doesn't quite ring true, some kind of background element, bits about the religions or beliefs or practices of the characters. I would like all of those elements to inform my understanding of the world such that either at the end of reading about a practice or a habit around mealtimes, or a thing that people do before they set off on a journey, I either have a clearer understanding of what the world for these people is, because there are certain practices that are significant, because when I set out on the journey, I ask the blessings of the gods, and I do that by putting items in a bowl, or by 
holding up an artifact. And so that tells me things like there are gods. People interact with those gods. They probably interact on a fairly regular basis, unless setting out on a journey is an uncommon thing. I can interact with some kinds of material objects. There are lots of really interesting ways to inform me about the people in the world through those little minor activities. And once you've done that, you can have someone forget to do it. You can have someone not do it. You can have someone do it differently. You can have someone do it much more elaborately to show that in this case, the journey matters more. There's all sorts of ways to transgress against those expected behaviors and beliefs once you've established them. So again, Getting back to my notions that you can do reader response, and much of my reader response through the very giant is bafflement. You can have some kind of way of articulating what the project of the book seems to be, the ways that the book or the story seems to be trying to fit into a larger conversation or tradition, and how successful it was. And again, I, I just... I finished The Buried Giant and felt as though I did not understand enough of the context to really read it that way. Or you can talk about broadly the conventions about how we write or how we write stories or more narrowly, the conventions within certain genres, and you can talk about how successfully the book executed on those conventions. For me, The Buried Giant clarified some of the conventions of epic fantasy and the reason that world building and moments of world building are really important because they set up ways to understand our characters and how they interact with the world so that I as a reader can tell when the author is doing something new and interesting and when the world isn't working the way it's supposed to because usually that's going to manifest as some kind of conflict and often some kind of fairly important conflict to the story and so that sense of immersion can be really helpful. So summing up I didn't entirely like The Buried Giant. I didn't entirely dislike it. I found myself confused, and I'm looking forward to people who are a little more comfortable speaking to the fantasy genre also speaking about The Buried Giant without trying to guess at whether it's really fantasy or not. It seems clear to me that it is not really fantasy, but possibly really interesting. But it was useful for me to notice that some of the ways that it really fell down and signaled that it wasn't a fantasy novel helped me clarify what I like and appreciate in many fantasy novels. Each episode closes with a memory of a significant book. The right book at the right time, an interesting find, or just something that stuck around. So the first book I'm going to talk about is one that I doubt very many people have read, and yet I think probably all of us have on our shelves somewhere. Mine is called A Book Dragon by Don Kushner. It was apparently written in 1987. It's a fairly slim little book, comes in at under 200 pages. A few very prettily illustrated pages, very pretty illustrations, in the form kind of of marginalia that monks might illustrate a book with. And the reason I said I think everybody probably has something similar on their shelves, or at least many readers, is that I have no memory of how I got this or when I got it. I don't know if I picked it up at a bookstore at some point, if someone decided it would be good for me. It's just kind of always been there and always been this charming book that makes me smile when I see it. The premise is that a dragon in fairly non-specifically identified Middle Ages ends up, I think, because he travels far down into a volcano and it changes his physiology such that he can change his size and choose by not eating to kind of shrink. And so he shrinks down to the size a little bit bigger than an insect. He makes friends with a monk who's drawing a book, and there are some really charming passages and areas where the monk 
draws pictures of the dragon and hides them throughout his book, which is where some of the illustrations within a book dragon comes from. And Nunsuch decides, Nunsuch is the dragon, decides he's going to guard this book and this will be his treasure. And he goes into hibernation and ends up emerging in sort of modern San Francisco and the book is at a used bookstore and so he becomes the bookstore dragon. It's it's charming, it's cute, as you can probably tell. It's been a little while since I've read it, but I have no idea how it got on my bookshelves, but I have just enough affection for it and enjoyment of it that it's made the move from place to place to place. And maybe now I'll go back and reread the story of none such. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at J. Sutton Morse. The show is on Twitter at King Cabbage Cast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.